Welcome back to the Resiliency Ninja podcast. I'm your host, Allison Graham. And of course, the goal with this podcast is to give you tools and inspiration to be more resilient every day so that your challenges do not get in the way of your success or in the way of your profits. And all of us are going through something in the background. And today's guest is someone who I'm just getting to know. We were introduced by a mutual contact and he has an incredible book coming out called Smile. You may recognize his work from his last book, which was called Circle Selling, and really focused on his sales training on a people-first, authentic, and genuine approach to management and leadership. And his company is called New Wings Consulting. Today's guest is Steve Rigby. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, Allison. It's an absolute pleasure and an honor to be here, ma'am. Well, I am excited. And you're the only man who's called me ma'am in a long time. <laughs> I do it out of respect. I was I was raised that way. I've got good parents. I love it. That's awesome. And you are from Austin, Texas. Or is it Sweetwater, Texas, which is close to Austin? How does that work? Yeah, that, that's okay. Spicewood, technically, we're just outside of weird, we tell people. Austin has a tagline of uh, being known for weird. So we're just outside of weird. Okay, awesome. Well, I actually have never been down to Texas, so I feel, oh, no, I have. Never mind, just not that part, but. Well, we'll, have, to, we'll have to fix that. We will. You know, I am a speaker just like you and always looking for places to go and share my message of resiliency yes, with audiences. Now, you have uh, been speaking in this training business, this crazy business that you and I have chosen as our profession to inspire audiences for, what, over 30 years. Yes, ma'am. How, how, that's great. I haven't done anything for 30 years yet in a row, you know. Uh, do you still love it as much today as you did back then? Uh, yes, ma'am. If I didn't, I wouldn't still be, I wouldn't be, still be doing it. I was, I was very fortunate, Allison, when I had an opportunity to get into home building a little over 30 years ago. A gentleman who did our training was perhaps the most inspiring gentleman I've ever been in front of. He was a speaker. He had worked with IBM and Dale Carnegie for years, and he just lit a fire in me. And I knew by the break of the first morning that I would love to be able to light fires in other folks if I could. And I was fortunate enough, I got to mentor under him both in sales, sales management, and then training. And he had a way of making it fun and, and keeping it passionate. And I think he passed all of that along to me. And I, I love what I do. I haven't had to work in 30 years. And when you, because a lot of speakers I talk to, their biggest challenge is getting enough gigs. But because you had this connection into the home building, you didn't really have to go through that that growth or trying to find the clients. It sounds like you had like built-in clients right from the beginning. When Susan and I, that, that's my wife, and she was in the mortgage business for years and years. When we started our consulting firm, let's see, 13 years ago, uh, the market, actually, home building was starting to turn a little bit, which is kind of a scary time to, to look at it. But I picked up the phone and called one young man that was a rookie salesperson on my team. He had grown up in the industry and uh, was running a huge operation out, out of Phoenix, if you will, out on the West Coast mostly. And he kept me as busy as I could have been for the first two years. And it just it just is mushroom from there. I've been fortunate. You know, what what I've learned is that, and it goes way beyond what I've learned in, in, our, in our industry and what we do. It's all about relationships. And when you've got relationships with people that you've maybe had a way to add value to their lives and you stay in touch with them and you just offer your services and, and that one phone call opened the doors of so many opportunities. So I, I've, been, I've been most, most blessed, ma'am. So it couldn't have at all been easy peasy in the back room. Let, 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 let's dive into where were their struggles? Like there had to have been something. At least that's what I'm always telling my audience, that it looks like everybody's got it together on the outside. And sometimes in the background, we're peddling. Uh, I use an analogy of a swan oftentimes uh, to, you know, to communicate to people how you want to be perceived, if you will, whether you're selling or managing or or speaking, you want to look graceful and calm and look like everything is going well, but uh, underneath you're paddling like all get out. And sometimes the current can be a little bit rough for you. You know, I mentioned that uh, 
the market in home building had started to turn when we got uh, when we started our consulting firm, and a couple of years into it, uh, it it really took a nosedive back with the recession that you know we went through here in the in the U.S. But uh, I was fortunate enough. My my wife is a saver, and she had set aside our funds and invested it well that we had done okay with, and we were financially able to kind of weather a little bit of a slowdown in it because there were folks that were cutting back on uh, hiring consultants to do outside training and such. But I saw it as an opportunity to put my first book together, which I had been encouraged to write for probably more than a decade for many of my students. And so I, I took that little bit of a break, if you will, not that I wasn't busy, but I wasn't as busy and put together my first book, which helped us become very successful as the market began to turn. And then it eventually led to my second book, A Smile. So there's been a lot of peddling underneath the surface. Yes, ma'am. So tell me about the concept of smile, because I know that our listeners are listening on a podcast and they can't see the visual element to it, but it's essentially smile with a period after each of the letters. So I'm guessing that each of those letters within the word stands for something. Am I right in that? Yes, yes ma'am. You, you are. That smile is an acronym for uh, something that a lady, this, this is a fable that I chose to write this book with. My first was a a textbook uh, type of book, a circle selling. I, I patterned it much after Dr. Stephen Covey. I was very much influenced by Dr. Covey in his writing of the Seven Habits. I actually had the privilege of uh, meeting Dr. Covey. Oh my gosh, did you? Oh yes, ma'am. And what a remarkable human being! It's one of the absolute highlights of my professional career. And then, in that same time, I also I, I became a huge reader. Uh, not not having read for years and years in the workforce and a young man actually that uh, helped me when we started our consulting firm, stay busy for those couple of years, had given me a copy of The Seven Habits and I was blown away by the book and we brought it into our training and I've taught The Seven Habits for, for 30 years. But along those that same time, I, I started looking for great books to read and authors that would inspire me and I came across uh, the One Minute Manager series from Ken Blanchard, Raving Fans, Gung Ho, Well Done. And I was most inspired by Ken's writing style. Uh, he typically will tell a story through a fable. And so when I had an opportunity to start kicking around the idea of smile, I chose to write it as a fable, um, much in line with the way Ken did his books. And I was pleasantly surprised when I finished the book and uh, sent a manuscript of it to Ken, and Ken actually endorsed my book. So it, it kind of came full circle, if you will. Wow, that must have been, uh, well, I, I wonder, surreal to have somebody who influenced you so much. Well, it, it, it absolutely was. And, and again, it, it goes back to relationships. I had a relationship with a, uh, a home builder in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that had a brother-in-law that worked with the Blanchard organization. And I had met Ken when he was on the road speaking with raving fans, but I just uh, remembered that relationship and asked if they would be willing to get the manuscript to Ken, and, and he did. So Ken, Ken loved the book. Anytime, uh, you know, you can tell a, a story and have the touch points in it uh, to where it's interesting. And, and I'd like to think, Ken must have thought it was interesting or he likely wouldn't have endorsed it. But Smile is a fun journey that I, I take the readers on. Uh, I've been very involved in both home building and real estate for over three decades. And so I chose to write and tell a story about a, a lady who was a teacher whose youngest goes off to college and she decides she's going to get out of teaching and get into real estate. And that happens quite often. And she's taught all the closing techniques and all the ways to sell and feature function benefit and all, all the things that, that can be helpful. But she lost sight of who she was and she was focused more on the techniques and less upon who she was. And she was focused more on making a dollar instead of making a difference and income versus outcome. And she meets somebody that's referred to her that, uh, teaches her how to smile, and the acronym stands for the five things that she's going to be taught in the book. 
Wonderful. And so how did you create this character? Was it based on somebody who you knew in your life? Yes, ma'am. Uh, we've already spoke about the gentleman earlier. I just didn't give his name earlier. Raleigh Sturman was the gentleman who lit a fire in me when I walked in that training class 30 years ago. And so when I had an opportunity to put Smile together, uh, I really wanted to pay tribute to a man that made such a huge, huge impact in my life. So Raleigh carries the lead role of introducing Sherry Montgomery in the book to the people that teach her how to smile. Now, the interesting thing, if I might add, that I chose to do in putting this together is many of the fables that I've read, probably most of them, are kind of imaginary stories that when you finish the book, you're left thinking, all right, that was, that was cool, that was interesting, but I wonder if it really works in real life. Mm. And so when I put Smile together, I was fortunate enough with many, many of the students that I've had the privilege of impacting their career, and I was able to bring them in live into the story, if you will, to tell their stories of how they learned each of the parts of Smile. So it's a fable, but it's based on real people with real success stories. But it begins with Raleigh, the gentleman who taught me how to, how to sell, how to manage, and how to train. Hmm. Okay. That makes sense. And with the selling, what do you think is where people are going wrong? Uh, that's a great question. And by the way, you ask great questions. So I, I admire that in people. Thank you. I'm a curious person. This is why I'm doing this podcast because I, I got sick of asking myself these same, same questions. Well, uh, <laughs> right? you, you and, you and uh, Albert Einstein have that's something right. in common. I, I quote Einstein on a lot of my training. And in the first book, he said, curiosity is more important than knowledge. Mm. So you take what many perceive to be maybe one of the smartest human beings that ever lived on this earth. And, and he said, what we know is not as important as what we don't know. And that's curiosity. And that, that's asking the questions. I have learned, and I kind of uh, set the book up a smile, explaining that uh, too often uh, anyone, let's take someone in a sales position because that's what both these books are about, Circle Selling and Smile. Okay. Uh, we're taught the importance of product knowledge and, and it is important to know your product or your services that you offer. But typically there's so much emphasis placed on the knowledge of the product that when we get face to face with somebody that's interested in it, that's what we talk about. And the, the idea behind Smile is to put people first. And so it's very simple to just envision what you're doing. Just see the product as being represented behind you. And the person that's interested in it is in front of you. And so all you do is just place more emphasis on the person first, getting to know them, getting to understand them, getting to connect with them, making them feel important. And as you do that, you'll move into the discussion that helps you understand they're interested in the product or service that you offer. But once they bought you, and they generally do that when they know that you care about them, then they're interested in what you have in your product or service because they, they trust you. Uh, Zig Ziglar understood that years ago. You uh, said people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And um, there are a lot of people over the years, and, and I tell the stories in my book about some of the great salespeople that I've had the opportunity to either train or learn from that have known their careers, that it's, it's all about the person. It's all about the relationship, if you will. Uh, Mary Kay Ash understood it. Uh, she was once asked the secret to her success, and, you know, she built the Mary Kay Cosmetic Empire. Oh, right. Yes, from, of course. From the trunk of her car. And she answered a reporter. She said, I just envisioned everybody I ever met had an imaginary sign hanging around their neck. And that sign said, make me feel important. And so when we can do that, when we can make the other person feel important, uh, the barriers of distrust go down. Uh, the relationship begins to grow and, and foster. And the next thing you know, it's just uh, a friend doing business with a friend. and that's a pretty good way to do business. Well, and, you know, it's, it's like that people will forget what you 
say to them or whatever the Maya Angelo, Maya Angelo quote is. They'll yes, forget what you say and they'll remember yeah. how you made them feel. Absolutely. I have that one displayed in my training room down here. We do, uh, you know, for the folks that get interested in my books, uh, that's kind of a head start into learning really how to put people first. We hold uh, retreats at our place out here on Lake Travis. And I have a, a, a collection of signs that I put up and display on the walls to just serve as a reminder. And that exact quote is one of them. I'm not surprised you know it. Yeah. Well, and it's it, my original work. And we, we're just getting to meet each other. So it's fun. But then again, a lot of new listeners are coming on the Resiliency Ninja podcast every week. So they may mm -hmm. just be getting to know me too. But my original work was teaching people how to network and create meaningful profitable connections ah. yeah so that is one of my original passions and what led me into the speaking world was that now well, if i may interestingly enough the m in smile is really about that networking oh great when raleigh introduces the letters in the acronym to uh sherry she introduced she gets introduced to a gentleman uh, who teaches her how to smile, the M in smile. And he has her write the letters M-E down, which stands for me, and he helps her understand. All right, first off, it's up to you to be successful. You have to own what you're doing. So it's up to me to be successful in what I do. But then he has her invert the letters, and the me becomes we. And the we represents all the people that we know that we have relationships with, and if we focus on building those relationships and seeing what we can do to help the other person become more successful, then they in turn will be willing to help us become more successful. And that's that network of referrals, if you will. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. I sure do. And you know what, I'll, I know how I answer the question, but I'm curious because we've, you know, done this and, and brought this up. I get asked a lot at what point do you stop trying to do something for other people and ex and uh, and give up on the idea that there's ever ever going to be reciprocity and so this because i i know that some of my clients over the years have been so good at focusing on everyone else and actually this is where i started my work was i was constantly you know, I learned how to network because I was on boards and I was volunteering and I was mm -hmm. connecting people. And you know what I was? I was broke. <laughs> I had no <laughs> money because I was doing <laughs> everything for everybody else. And there, and that's why I talk a lot about profitable relationships that mm -hmm. have that element to it. Where have you found that there's that 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 threshold that line of you're just doing things for everybody else and you're not taking care of yourself well it's another great question and it, this may surprise you a little bit but i'm going to quote other books and other authors because I, i've just i've only written two books of which there's probably two hundred thousand and two great books that are out there uh in a program i i have which is based off of the m and smile uh it's called ownership and when students come to my ownership class, I have them read two books. Uh, and these aren't mine. Uh, Bob Berg's book of The Go-Giver, brilliantly yeah. written book. I absolutely love Bob and love his book. And the other is Tim Templeton's Referral of a Lifetime. And, and that's a book that's uh, kind of sponsored by uh, Ken Blanchard. Ken, Ken endorsed that book. So in Referral of a Lifetime that Tim Templeton put together, he uh, suggests that you take all the people you know in relationships and then you prior you put them down and then you prioritize them as the A, B's or C's. And A's being the people that are most willing and most able to help you. B's being the second and C's being the folks that if you have time to, you'll try to get to. But he really helps us understand that you have to prioritize what you're doing, that all relationships are not necessarily created equal. And so, you know, when you find yourself starving and maybe you realize, well, I'm spending a lot of time with some of these B or C relationships. And it's not that they're not valuable because all relationships right. are, but you know, the one thing we all are created equal with is the same exact amount of time that we have each day to do what we do. And so if our goal, yours being, I certainly know mine is, is to make life less difficult for other people. 
then there's only so many people that I'm going to be able to help and interact with. And so I, I have to be mindful of that. You know, if there are folks that maybe don't understand or appreciate as much of what I'm trying to do, and I don't feel like I'm going to be able to impact them, then maybe I'm just not the right fit for them. And maybe they need to, to be helping or being helped by someone else. And then I'll move towards someone that I can make a difference with. At, at the end of the day, you know, I, I want to feel like I've been able to make a difference. And if there are people that I just can't get there yet, then I'm going to have to maybe set them on the back burner and focus on somebody else that, number one, I can help, but then it's also going to be willing to, to help me. And, and I'd, I'd like to think that's not a selfish approach. I think it's kind of like survival, if you will. Right. It is. And sometimes we're taught, especially up here in Canada, and I think down there where you are as well, you got to be nice, right? And by being nice, it gets misinterpreted as being walked all over. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, there's actually a book on a recommended reading list that I have called The Power of Nice. And if, if you understand the philosophy in that book, I can't recall the author's name, so please forgive me. But it talks about the fact that, you know, nice doesn't mean being easy. Nice just means that you care about people. And if you care enough to try to make a difference, then you're going to have to decide, you know, if I can't make a difference with this person, then I'm just going to have to find somebody else to be nice to. I'm enjoying our time together. Well, it is fun to chit chat about this. And, and you know what, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit of nostalgia because some of these names that you're bringing up are the very people that when I started my career also influenced me, right? It wasn't the same as it is now where there are thousands and thousands and thousands of solid business books. There was like mm -hmm. the core group mm -hmm. and many of them are still on the bestseller list today. Absolutely. And so how do you take that reference point and continue to make it current in today's market. Qualify that a little bit more for me, if you will. Well, I just, let me, let me think how I can qualify that or even what I'm thinking. It's just like all these old school books, I'm looking at it and the principles remain the same. Yes, ma'am. They absolutely like there's no doubt in my mind how to win friends and influence people. The, the go-giver uh, by Bob yes, Berg, mm -hmm. all of it is relevant. And then on the other side, you know, I'm getting booked by teacher or not teachers, by uh, corporate clients who are like, I want something fresh and new, but the principles never change. And so it's like, how, I guess I'm asking, how do you overcome that obstacle of staying current in the market and drawing on all this, incredibly valuable information from the past. Uh, now I got you. Um, that's another good question, doggone it. My, my answer to that is, and, and I have folks when I, you know, if, if folks ask me about a great book on management, I, I tell them, Kim Blanchard's the place to go to. And they said, well, yeah, but that was back in the 80s and 90s. I said, yeah. And so well, that was a long time ago. And I said, yeah. Well, people have changed. Well, have they? Now, there, are some, there, are some, there are some new new ways of interpreting things, but to me, it all goes back to those very solid sound principles, if you will. I mean, you go back to the Bible. That's a book that's been around, what, close to 2,000 years? And uh, if you want to know how to treat people, the golden rule is, 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 is there. And are there newer, more recent books about how to treat people? Yeah, there are. But uh, I, I don't know that people have necessarily changed that much. I, I do an interesting thing, speaking of books and, and people changing. There's a, there's a passage in a book uh, called The Secret of Closing Sales. Hmm. And I, I pull it out and I read this passage in it. And it, I'll paraphrase it if I may. But it basically says, people don't respond to old selling lures. Uh, they don't like to be pushed. Uh, they have access to a lot of information. Uh, they always have had access to information. They don't like to be sold. Now, those are the real talking points. It's paraphrased in this, in this book called The Secret of Closing Sales. And so I read it, and everybody in the audience is nodding their head like, yeah, man, that's right on. I mean, that's exactly the way my customers are. And then I asked them, I said, uh, would you be interested to know when this book was copywritten? And they kind of like, well, it's recent, isn't it? Well, if between World War I and World War II is recent, 
because that's when the book was written and copyrighted, uh, copywritten. And so what people understand from that is that people really don't change that much, if you will. And, and it goes back to those same things. You know, Covey talked about it. Blanchard talks about it. We're attracted to people that have integrity, that have humility, that have temperance, that have justice, that are honest, that uh, care. And to me, those are the things that it goes back to the people first philosophy of smile. If you just stop trying to sell people something and try to get to know the person and understand the situation they're trying to improve. And if you ask enough of the right questions about them and their situation, they'll tell you what you need to know to be able to help them. And if you can help them, they'll let you. And if you don't think you can, then you refer them to somebody else that you feel can do a better job. And is that okay? So that, that opens up a whole nother can of worms. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> when, when do you know that you need to walk away in a sale and send them somewhere else? If another great question, if what you ask gives you the answers that tells you that you don't have the best product or you don't have the best service, and you know that, and you know of somebody else that does. Uh, for instance, uh, we were talking about how do you prioritize, how do you spend your time? Well, I'd refer you to Tim Templeton's book, because I don't really write about that. I teach a little bit of it when we do our live training, but if you want an expert on that, to me, Tim Templeton does an excellent job with it. And so a, a large part of that uh, Allison, to me, is knowing who else is out in the marketplace and what they have that they offer that, you know, they can do a great job with. And if there's somebody that is a better expert at it or is a better fit, refer the person there. I I've done that in home building for years and years and years, home building and real estate. Now, in home building, you're kind of limited to a specific product in a specific neighborhood that you have to sell, but that you might not have the right product or the right neighborhood for a family. And so if everything you do determines it's not a good fit, if integrity, if the principles we talked about, the character ethic are important, you're going to refer them to, to that other location, to that other builder. Now, what I've seen happen time after time is because you had the integrity to do that, more often than not, when they go there, they're going to come back to you even though you might not have had the best location or the best product because they trust you because they knew you put them and their interests first. I've seen it happen time and time again. And if they do go there and they do buy, if you stay in touch with them, the we in smile, the M inverted to, to we, they will refer you more business than as they say in Texas, you can shake a stick at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So it's, 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 it's really about from my philosophy of naive as it sounds is you just, you put the needs and interest of the other person first. And once folks understand that and recognize it, they, they'll buy you. And then the product or service you offer just kind of comes along with that purchase. Awesome. Now I wanted to ask you too, because you mentioned earlier, your wife, is it Sharon? Was her name? Uh, yeah, no, and Sherry was the lead character in the book. Uh, my bride is named Susan. Susan. I knew it was an S name. Okay. You got it. Yes, I should have written it down when you said That's it. That's okay. So now the two of you, she was in real estate. Yes, you were in home building. And yes, did you, you joined your consulting practice together? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Well, we got married first because we kind of fell in love. and Oh, well, <laughs> that's a good idea. It, uh, to it call her your was. bride. It kind of was. But when, when we had an opportunity to start our consulting firm, uh, she had walked away from uh, her career in the mortgage business. She was one of the top mortgage bankers in the country with the company that we were with. But she came into a relationship that I had uh, some young children at home. And to, 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 from her perspective, the livelihood of uh, the two youngsters that she kind of inherited uh, that lived with me, she embraced them and loved them like her own. And she decided, you know, I'd, I, my ability to maybe help these kids make something out of themselves is far more important than my mortgage business. So she, she walked away from that, kind of retired from it and became a full-time mom for a while. And now that the kids are grown, 
well, she helps me in what I do in our retreat. She handles all the scheduling and booking of everything and prepares all the meals. And uh, she's the hostess of everybody that comes at our retreats. And they fall in love with her and her cooking and her food and they tolerate me. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so the, the notion of working together as a couple... Yes, ma'am. I, I know I've had conversations with friends over the years who have either uh, one couple I'm specifically thinking of who she has a successful consulting practice and would love to bring her husband home. And then when it gets to the uh, 11th hour of, oh, maybe not, they both like say, no, we can't do this. <laughs> what is the secret to maintaining a uh, uh, an intimate relationship, like, you know, having her as your, your spouse and mm -hmm. having her as a business associate as well. Is there a secret to making that happen or is it just, you just do and it works because of your personalities together? Well, I'm going, I've never been asked that question, but I, I reflect back on our relationship and I look at smile and the E in smile might provide the, the simplest and best answer for it. The E in SMILE stands for enjoy everyone you meet and everything you do. And so when you, when you are able to do that, when you can enjoy everybody you come into contact with and every interaction and, and every work, if you call it work, that you do with them, you fall in love with what you do. And Confucius said it years ago, when you fall in love with what you do, you never have to work another day in your life. And so I'd like to think that Susan and I really don't work together. We kind of play together, if you will. And I encourage folks when they look at their profession, uh, when they look at sales, you need to love it. And you need to fall in love with it and fall in love with the people that you get to interact with and what you do. And, and what I encourage them to do is I, I ask them to all retire when they come to any of my retreats. And I ask them to start playing. And envision wherever their workplace, to use that term, if you will, is to envision it not as a workplace anymore, but as a playground. And it, it's, it's their sandbox, if you will. And when they approach what they do every day as if they get, they get to go play in their sandbox. And the people that come in to look at buying their products or services are other kids that come in and you just invite them to play in the sandbox and it just, it just kind of works. You get to play at what you do, not not work. Have you ever been to Seattle? I have. Have you been to Pike's Place Fish Market? I have not. Oh, maybe not. I did. Well, okay. I'm. It's like trying to remember a shot on a golf course. I can't remember. Yes, <laughs> I just enjoy the moment, and then I forget where I was. Well, but <laughs> I, I, I reference it because I talk about Pike's Place Fish Market in the E and Smile because I've had the privilege of going there a couple of times, doing some consulting up in the Seattle area. You go there, and it's a bunch of grown men playing, laughing, cutting up, having fun, selling fish. Mm. And they're not the only fish market there. There are several businesses up and down that waterfront there, but they're the ones that's the most successful because they play in what they do. That's one of their four tenets or philosophies in what they do. They don't show up to work. They play at what they do. And when you play, you have fun. And... It just, it translates into what we do. I, one thing I have in, that I wrote in both of my books is uh, I came up with seven rules of shopping and we likely don't have the time to go through them, but I'll, I'll, I'll mention the first one because it may be the most important one. It says, we're just big kids with more money. <laughs> and I, I talk about, you know, when I was younger and I had a nickel in my pocket that I had earned from doing a chore or something you know, around the house or with my grandparents, I couldn't wait to get to the store to spend that nickel because we love to buy things and we love to have fun in the experience. And so as you, as we grow, well, when you move into your, you know, a few years later, it, it now it's 50 cents to get the same satisfaction. And then it eventually becomes $5 and $50 and 500 and 5,000. And now people are paying $50,000 for automobiles or $500,000 for homes. But that same feeling of having that nickel in your pocket, you want to have fun at it because shopping should not be work. And so when you can enjoy what you do and make it enjoyable for your guests, and I, I don't call them customers, I call them guests, 
because we know how to treat guests. When you can make it fun and they sense you love what you do and that you generally care about them, again, that goes back to the fact that the most important sale a salesperson is going to make, in my opinion, is themselves. And if you can get that guest to fall in love with you and how you make them feel and how you treat them and they buy you, then they're going to be willing to really look at the product or service you provide or accept a referral if you don't have what they need. All right. My gosh, time flies fast when you and I are talking. Well, you're making it fun. You understand the first rule of shopping. Well, I do live in a, a state of joy. Even when things are going wrong, I believe that we are, can be resilient and we can still look and not let that get off our path. So thank you for saying that. It's a smile on your face, doesn't it? It sure does. So, <laughs> okay, so I have my five rapid fire questions. Yes, ma'am. So I got to ask these, but one of them you've already, you know what, you've probably touched on all of these, but that's okay. That's all right. A book that changed your life. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Oh, it is a good book, isn't it? Yes, ma'am. My copy of it, if you set it on a tabletop and have a fan blowing next to it, it'll be scattered throughout the entire room. The, the gentleman who gave me that original copy years later gave me a brand new one to replace that one <laughs> with. It. And I told Rick, I said, no, I'm keeping the one I got because I know where everything is. <laughs> yes, well, so I gave that one away. So The Seven Habits, that's easy. Okay, awesome. A time in your career when you pushed through fear. Ooh, that's a darn good question. You know, that was probably when the, the real estate market, uh, well, when the recession really hit here in the U.S. about uh, 07, 8, 9, 10. It, it, was, it could be kind of tough, uh, particularly when you're starting a new consulting firm. But I, I never gave up. Uh, I, I knew there would be good days, and and I, I used the time to, to to start writing the books, and that was the best use of that time that I could could possibly use. I, I didn't I didn't give up. Awesome, that's great. That was a very tough time. I started my business in two thousand and six. Yeah, and a year I, after. Yeah, yeah. So I think. In the good news way, I think I was so naive at the time that I didn't understand the economic <laughs> impact of what was really going on. And I just went out and naively sold my clients anyway. It yeah, was, well, it, it was, it's, if, if I may add another time to that, when sure. I was selling, selling homes in Central Texas, uh, we were just outside a big military base of Fort Hood, Texas. And Everything was going well, and the next thing you know, the government shuts down one-third of that base. And it was a huge employer there, and, you know, all of the support businesses with it. And, I mean, it was panic in the entire city with that happening. But I was, I was brand new into sales. It was in my second year, and I just decided I wasn't going to participate in it. <laughs> and I, I just continued having fun. I continued being optimistic with the families that did come in. And yeah, there were fewer people that came in, but they seemed to be more serious because, you know, when you got a lot of folks in the marketplace there, they got a lot of options. Well, when other builders are going out of business uh, and you're, you know, one of the few remaining and you do have a good attitude, I, I did more business that year when a third of that base shut down than the year before. Because I didn't know better and just decided I'm going to make it good. You know, sometimes that naivete is so valuable, right? Like just. I agree. Just, I agree. Yeah, I I, well, it goes back to what Covey talked about in the seven habits with paradigms. You know, if you believe a market's going to suck, you're going to prove it right. <laughs> but if you, if you believe it's going to be good, you're likely going to find a way to make it much better than it could have been otherwise. You know, is, that is so true. I've got to go back and read that book because I, and I know a lot of my clients will come to me and they, the biggest struggle they always come to me with is either sales or productivity. One mm -hmm. of the two, they're either overwhelmed or they don't have enough money coming in. Yeah. And the reason they generally don't have enough money coming in, and you would know this as somebody who's, you know, led people and taught people how to sell better is because they believe that sales is hard. You're right. They You're complicate right. it. Yeah. We need to go back to those naive times in our life. 
Ah, well, you just led us back to the S and smile because the S and smile is about keeping it simple for two people, the salesperson and the guest that you're trying to help. And if you don't let all the stuff just overwhelm you and your guest and you honestly find a way to make what you're doing simple and the steps of how to do it are outlined in smile, it, it will put a smile on everybody's face because it really is simple. It's just about helping others. It's about making life less difficult for everybody. Oh, it's so great. What a great reminder. Okay. I know that you are just getting started on social media, that you're in uh, a little bit newer in the social media space, but what have you noticed so far? Because the question, third question is always, if you could change one thing that others do on social media, what would that thing be? So what are the pet peeves of social media? I'd like to see people focus on what's right with the world. Oh, wouldn't that be lovely? Uh, a very, very, very dear friend of mine who wrote the foreword in Smile is a photojournalist for the National Geographic. He was one of the top photographers for the Geographic for over two decades. And he did a video, and he has a, a website called Celebrate What's Right with the World, Dwight Jones. And it is, it's a, it's a, it's a life-changing philosophy. If instead of everybody focused on what's wrong and belittling each other and being critical uh, of everybody and everything, look for the good that's out there. Focus on the good in people. Focus on the good in life. Focus on the things we've got to celebrate. And, and when we do that, then everything else becomes so much easier. Celebrate what's right with the world. Awesome. Love that. Okay, fourth question. Yes, ma'am. And again, you've shared some of these stories, so I'm going to ask you to dig deep to find another example. It is either your best or your least favorite story of networking. Either when you met somebody and it led somebody where really well or the opposite, you get to choose. Um, I'm, I don't know if this would qualify as networking, but I, it's, it's kind of the same thing, or at least in my mind it is. I, when, when I, whether I'm teaching people, uh, salespeople, the philosophy of what they do or whether I'm, I'm trying to apply it myself, and you darn well better apply it yourself if you're trying to teach it, uh, I, every time I'm anywhere meeting anybody, I see every person I meet as someone that I potentially could have a business relationship with, or they can put me in contact with somebody that I can have a business relationship with. So I'm kind of always on, if you will, if, if you understand yeah, that term. Sure do. And so uh, I was down in... Uh, on the Texas Gulf Coast about a year and a half ago and was on the back of a little boat after kind of a little dinner boat, if you will, and um, struck up a conversation with a gentleman that he kind of struck the conversation up with me because we were there to hear a great songwriter. And I had co-written a song with this gentleman who performed that night. And so we just started talking about music. And we started talking about the cowboy boots we were wearing. And we started talking about everything, learning about each other. And in that conversation, found out the gentleman had worked for Marriott for years. His wife was an executive chef for Marriott. Well, my Susan worked with Dick Marriott up in Baltimore for years and years. So we found the connection there. And then we had the connection with music. And we just talked and visited and asked questions about what each other did. And that ended up into a, a big opportunity with the franchises with Mattress Firm. And I did a, about a six-week tour last year with uh, the Mattress Firm franchises, and it was a, a great business opportunity. And, and actually, the endorsement on the front of Smile comes from Harry Roberts, who was the co-founder of Mattress Firm. And it was just all about just being nice to somebody and then being nice to you. And with that, you learn about each other and what your interests are, and you see if there's a way you can help somebody. And they got a hold of my first book and loved it. And I gave them the manuscript to smile. And they loved it. And the next thing you know, we're teaching 100 salespeople how to smile with the mattress firm franchises. Do you know what I love about this story? Rhetorical question. You don't know what I love about this story. 
<laughs> I was going to ask you. <laughs> so, so many people, I because I see it. I love to people watch in the airport, yes, for example. Absolutely. And they'll get so focused on their phone yeah. or just ignoring the people around them. I'm like, I'm hilarious to watch in an airport. A, because I say hi to everybody. And B, I usually have <laughs> earphones on and some really good music. So I'm, I, I look a little bit like I'm dancing down the yeah. aisle in the airport. Yeah. So I, I'm very approachable, very friendly. And I've met some great people, but like any kind of event in a restaurant, in a, you know, a line at the coffee shop, you just never know who's who and where it can lead to. Absolutely. It's just, I, I actually write about that in Circle Selling, my first book. I talk about the fact that I enjoy sitting at airports just watching people. Huh. And, and if you watch them, they'll tell you an awful lot about kind of the way they see the world. You observe what they do. You listen to how they talk. And all of that uh, goes into a discussion of behavioral styles. And I brought that discussion of behavioral styles into both of, of my books, the I in smiles stands for identify the individual. And so what you want to do is you're interacting with folks is kind of get a sense of how they see the world. Are they open and outgoing? Are they more reserved? Are they very analytical? Do they kind of want to control the conversation? Because they'll tell you an awful lot about the way they want to be spoken to and interacted with if you will. And you have to be able to make those adjustments if you want to be able to help people that see the world a little differently than you do. I use uh, birds as the example in Smile. You and I would likely be the parrots of the bird kingdom. <laughs> um, I, we, we're having fun and we're going to talk to everybody. And the exact opposite of that personality would be an owl. They're going to be very quiet, very analytical, very studious, if you will. And so you have to speak a different language, if you will, uh, with the owls in what you do. Uh, the third are the eagles. They're more dominant, uh, a little bit more assertive of the bird kingdom. And then the opposite of an eagle is a dove. They're quiet, they're passive, they're the pace, peacemakers, if you will. And so if you can, as you're interacting with folks, begin to identify which bird they are, or combinations, because we can be combinations, then you're able to speak their language differently. You and I interacting with a, 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 a parrot, I mean, that's what we've been doing for the last hour. Right. Uh, but, if, but if we're talking with you or I with an owl, then we may have to tone it down a little bit and uh, make sure that, you know, we're, we're spot on with what we discuss with the owl, because they, they typically don't do a lot of chit chat in their conversations, just black and white with them. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. The last of the five yes, rapid fire questions, which yes, I know somebody, one of my listeners was joking with me. We were chatting as she booked a, a virtual coffee with me and mm -hmm. she said, you know, those rapid fire questions are not very rapid. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been, aware. You've, been aware. Gracious, you've been gracious enough to allow me to no, no, you're great. This is this is wonderful. So uh, this is what happens. Uh, and then the last one, though, is your yes, favorite empowering quote. My favorite empowering quote. That's an easy one. I ended my first book and chose to begin my second book with a quote from George Eliot. Uh, George Eliot is a 19th century novelist from England. I say she because it wasn't acceptable in those days for a female to be an, an accomplished novelist. So mm -hmm. she wrote under the pen name of George Eliot. But the quote is, what do we live for if not to make life less difficult for each other? Mm. What do we live for if not to make life less difficult for each other? And from a sales perspective, if salespeople would just understand that you're not there to sell anybody something. You're there to try to make life less difficult and don't get hung up on trying to make it perfect because you might not, might not find the perfect solution for what, you know, a, a guest is looking for. In many cases, they just like for whatever they're shopping for, wanting to buy, wanting to purchase the service you offer. They want something that's going to be a little bit better than what they got right now. Doesn't have to be perfect. And awesome. so that, 
that idea of making life less difficult for each other, which when you think about it, that's really the idea of a people first philosophy. It's not how can you make life less, less difficult for yourself? How can you make life less difficult for each other in what you're doing, putting other people first? You've been an absolute treat, Miss Allison. Well, thank you. And here we are. We have done the entire podcast. Tell people where they can get a hold of your new book. They can go to stevemrigby.com. That's a website that is, is under development, and they should find links there to Amazon in it. Uh, I was on Amazon earlier today, and uh, you can't find Smile going directly to it because there are a lot of books on Smile, interestingly enough. But if you put in uh, uh, People First Philosophy or my name, it'll, it'll pop up. But when the book goes, uh, it's available for pre-order now. The, it'll be uh, on the market, released January 15th. And if it goes well, they're not going to have any trouble finding it. It's, it's, it's got, getting a lot of uh, recognition already because I've, I've got a lot of people that love the simplicity and the purity of it. So thank you for asking. Oh, that's wonderful. And actually, I did type it in, and you're right. There's smile, everything from dentists. Yeah. Lots of interesting. Yeah. Find, the one with the little, find the one with the little yellow balloon. You got it. Hi. <laughs> exactly. So uh, just type Steve Rigby into that. And yes, thanks so much for being here. And to those of you who are listening, thank you for tuning in. I love getting to share every week. Don't forget, Tuesdays are interview with great guests like Steve. And Fridays are Facha Fridays, where I tackle an issue for you on how to be more resilient every day and to drive your profits. So thank you again for being here. Please like, share, write a review if you're on iTunes. Let people know about this podcast because that's the only way it's going to grow. And until next time, have a wonderful week. Thank you for tuning in to Resiliency Ninja with Allison Graham. We are thrilled to have you as part of our community. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always connect with Allison at r-ninja.com and find important links to show notes. Thanks for listening. Until next time, embrace whatever obstacles come your way. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.